and something that we've actually trademarked now called data sleuthing, which is the combination of those forensic accounting, fraud investigation skills, but we combine them with data and technology. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for the show. Well, we have another very interesting guest for you today. Leah Wheatholder joins us from the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, and she's built a career and her company, actually, in the area of forensics. One thing you'll notice early on in the interview is how she was laser focused on a career path specifically to get into the FBI, actually. And although that turned out different in the long run, her career is now something that she truly, thoroughly enjoys. You're going to learn a lot in this show. You're going to learn some basics of forensic accounting, how to maybe get your own start in forensics, if that's something you're interested in, and even a little advice from someone who's, quote, been there and done that regarding starting a business. Leah really was an intriguing person in the interview. I learned a lot in this episode as well. And one quick note, like I mentioned, Leah lives in Oklahoma. And although I had never heard this before because I'm in South Texas, the tornado siren went off where she is. And so you're going to hear a little bit of that in this episode. We cut out most of it, but we couldn't quite you know, cut it all out. It just didn't make sense. I want to assure you, though, Leah is fine. The tornado siren did go off. However, we were able to finish the episode, obviously, and I've since talked to her and everything was okay. However, you will hear that in this recording. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something, please share it out on social media. We've been seeing an uptick in downloads recently over the last few months and an uptick in shares. And we really appreciate it every time that you share out the show. It helps other people find us. Thank you so much. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's episode. Here's Leah Wheatholder of Workman Forensics. Well, hello, Leah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. Well, for the audience, we have another very interesting guest for you today, this time from the forensics field. Leah Wheatholter, a CFE and a PI that started her career in accounting, though, is joining us for the program. Leah has her own business now, and there's a few very interesting offerings they have in the publicity and educational areas. So I think you're going to find a lot of value in this interview. I really couldn't resist but have her come on the program. Leah, I definitely want to get into all the exciting stuff that you're doing now in in your own company there at Workman Forensics, but it's important that the audience understands how you got to where you are today. So let's start at the beginning. What led you to consider accounting as a possible career choice in the early days? Well, accounting, I'll be honest, it was kind of an accident. My main life goal starting at about 12 years old was to become an FBI agent. And so I researched everything I could when I was in high school to find the best way to becoming an FBI agent. And I knew by the time I got to college that they hired out of five areas, information technology, accounting, uh, foreign language, and then also law. And, and then there was also a diversified program for everyone who didn't fit into those other four categories. And so I chose law 
And I thought, well, this will be interesting. But then it required way too much writing and reading, which oddly enough is what I do primarily now. But um, at the time I thought, no, I need some numbers. I had been like took a lot of math and stuff in high school. And so I had some friends who were hating accounting. And as they were describing it, I thought, I think I would actually enjoy that. So I switched to accounting, which once again, just fit into those categories of becoming an what I thought would result in me becoming an FBI agent. Interesting. You know, actually, we, we've had two former FBI agents on the program before. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I think that's a common thing that leads people into accounting, at least a small percentage. So how far did you get into a law degree? Oh, I don't know, one or two semesters. It wasn't very long. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Right. I'm just curious because that's a lot of commitment and investment. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, that. no. It was a couple semesters when I realized I need some numbers. I need some classes that, I don't know, reading just took so long. It took so much out of my day and I was working and I thought I can get math stuff done a lot quicker. So, Okay. Okay. I don't know if there's you know more more key points to you going through school or not, but one thing that, that sort of interested me is it, it looks like, at least from what I saw on LinkedIn, that you almost immediately got into the forensics area and you almost straight out of school. And, and I know many students would love that. So <laughs> walk us through how you got that opportunity. Yes, that was crazy. I don't think I could have planned any of that. I just heard about an FBI internship that I could apply for between my junior and senior year of college. And I went to Oral Roberts University. So I was in college and I applied for this internship and they only selected one intern from every field office. And in Oklahoma, we have one field office and I was the intern selected for the program. And so I actually got to go to the East Coast and I worked in the criminal justice information systems headquarters kind of of the FBI for 10 weeks. And oh my goodness, it was just the most amazing thing. I don't even think I'm overselling it. It was amazing. And at the end of the internship, and I, I worked on a whole host of things. It was very diverse. And at the end of the internship, they said, you know, we've started this new program where you can return to your field office and you can ask them if they have any internship opportunities there. And some of them have funding where you can actually get paid. And I had to work through college. And so I contacted them and Oklahoma City said, yeah, we actually have money and funding for this student trainee program. And you can work from the Tulsa field office, which is where ORU is. And since you're an accounting major, we'll make you the forensic accountant's intern. I mean, like I said, I could not have asked for something just like more perfect. And so I started learning really just from data entry, just taking bank statements, credit card statements, whatever they gave me and entering that information into Excel for about a year. And then at the conclusion of that year, it was a two-year internship. And so wanted to keep it. So that's when I started grad school because you had to be a student in order to have this position. So I started grad school working on my MBA. And, but then that second year of the internship, I was actually able to work on some cases with some agents. I did a lot of search warrants when I was there anyway, especially on white collar cases, because, well, let's just put the intern who's like, you know, really excited about this job to go dig through paper. So I did a lot of search warrants, but then I started just kind of understanding what, because of my mentor, the forensic accountant at the Bureau, we're still really great friends. Um, She just started 
showing me like what we were looking for in the various cases. And so I worked on a Ponzi scheme and a mortgage fraud and some fraud against the government related to Hurricane Katrina. And that led to me actually testifying before the grand jury a couple of times. And yeah, it just became a really, I would say, and based on what you've told me, the audiences of your podcast, I would say that the more responsibility, like the more I just tried to absorb what these professionals were telling me and teaching me. And then I could show responsibility with those skills that they were teaching me and kind of the mindset and strategy of where they were headed. The more really cool opportunities I had to work on cases and um, to start even compiling reports and things like that for the agents to use. Wow. I knew that you had forensic background, but honestly, I thought it was all through an internship at an accounting firm. So this is all new to me. I didn't know about the the FBI situation. (laughs) What did you learn about the FBI maybe that you didn't know going into it? And and I guess take us through the rest of that, how that transition happened, because I know you're not at the FBI now. So I'm curious if you had the opportunity to stay on or just chose not to or what the rest of that was like. Tell us more about it. Okay, sure. Yeah, it was definitely a job of a lifetime, and I got to work on so many cool things. I will say that one of the takeaways was that, and I like to share this with people whenever I have the opportunity, that the FBI is another office environment. It's not, I think that, especially since I started working for them when I was, I don't know, 20, 19, 20 walking in and yeah, it's cool that you've got a badge, but then you walk in and it's a bunch of cubicles. So just like real people putting their pants on one leg at a time, but also the level of like diligence and and responsibility for putting together cases that are going to affect people's liberties and how serious that is. And the attention to detail was something that was really impressed upon me by my forensic accounting mentor. And so she actually kind of laid that whole foundation for me by doing all this data entry, laid the foundation for me about creating cases based on facts and evidence and data, and really which set me up amazing for my career later. So it was a two-year internship. I had been given so many opportunities, like I mentioned before, to just so many fun things and putting together these reports and really connecting dots related to white-collar investigations. And so when the two years was kind of coming to a close, and of course, I had an accounting degree by this point. I was halfway through my MBA. And so I needed to make a decision. Do I stay on? Do I not? And I'm pretty open about the fact that the FBI told me that I failed the personality test. So I did not become an agent or at that point because I failed the personality test. So I decided it, that was the first phase at the time. And so I decided to apply for some other jobs and nothing really fit, like nothing really felt comfortable. And I was also, because I was 21 years old, I was thinking, do I want my career to only be the FBI forever? Or should I leave and get some additional experience and then go back and become an agent later? Because I applied as soon as I turned 23. I mean, I applied. And then whenever I could apply till I think 37. So that's when I decided, like, why don't I do what what everybody says a good accountant does and go work in public accounting for two years and then I'll come back. And I just never went back. But that's kind of why I, I made that decision because I was so young, I wanted to get some diversity and see 
you know, I know what it's like to work for the FBI now. Let's compare that to working in the private sector and kind of see what I like the best. Interesting. Okay. I'm not sure what failing the personality test for the FBI (laughs) really means. (laughs) I mean, I really got a letter. I really got a letter that said you failed to pass. No, it was like decision-making and personality stuff. So whatever they were looking for, I didn't fit that when I was 23 years old. Okay. May have been too nice or something. Who knows? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, so you move on to public accounting. Is still in the forensics area, I'm assuming? No, actually, there weren't a whole lot of firms doing forensic accounting at the time. And then a lot of the people that were doing forensic accounting were kind of sole proprietors, semi-retired you know, accountants mm-hmm. and professionals that just were working from home or whatever. And so I kind of considered what my friends in audit were doing. And then I looked at what friends in tax were doing. And I thought, I think learning about tax returns would be really useful in life. So I chose tax and started working for a kind of small, medium-sized local public accounting practice that primarily did taxes. And while I was there, they had a certified fraud examiner on staff who was a manager. And I just kind of started thinking, like, I wonder if there's a way to serve clients by doing some of this forensic accounting stuff, but in the private sector. And I don't even remember what gave me that idea, but I mentioned it to the partners one day in, they kind of did these mentoring meetings. And I mentioned it to them and I said, I think you could generate revenue doing this and whatever. And several months go by and then they actually had a call in a case. And so they said, well, let's see if Leah can work on this. And oh my goodness, working forensic accounting for the FBI is very, very different than working in the private sector because I couldn't have perfect information. I mean, I was used to, they just subpoena what we needed, but now I've got to decide what do we need and how do we even get that information if somebody doesn't want to cooperate and stuff. Anyway, one thing led to the other and I ended up working about nine cases over a year and a half while still prepping tax returns. But during that course, they created a forensic accounting division with myself and the CFE manager that was on staff. So that's how I still kind of was dabbling in the forensic accounting world, even though I wasn't with the FBI anymore. Okay. What led you to starting your own business? Yeah, I guess what was that decision-making process like? And yeah, what led up to that time period? Well, it was kind of the prepping tax returns and also doing forensic accounting engagements. It was a lot. I kind of felt like I was in a year-long busy season because I would Mm. prep taxes for busy seasons, of course. But then also, you just never know when a forensic accounting case is going to walk in and they want it yesterday and all of that. And so that was just a lot. And I thought, this is not what I wanted out of life. So I started looking for other jobs. I looked in industry, but once again, just kind of pointing back to the experience that the FBI had my dream job when I was 19 to 21 and nothing really sounded that exciting, you know, when you've done all this other stuff. And so there was a headhunter who actually said, well, you're a certified fraud examiner. Could you just like start your own business doing this? And I thought, I don't know. So started researching that. And then I just remember talking to my mom and she said, okay, what's the worst that could happen? And I said, well, I'd have to go get a job. And she said, could you get a job if that, if you needed to? Yeah. And I looked to see how much did I need to make every month to pay my bills. It was pretty low. I was single at the time and I was sharing a house with several other girls. And so my overhead was really, really low. And I thought, okay, since I was a staff preparer at the public accounting firm, I had not 
ever tried any networking or meeting anyone. My family's not from here, so I did not know professionals in the Tulsa area at all. And to be honest, I didn't really even like talking to people at that point in my life, but I thought if I'm going to do this, I need to do it, like jump all in. And so if anyone said to me, oh, you should go talk to this attorney, I would contact that attorney and I would say, so-and-so suggested I talk to you. Could I have five minutes of your time? And these professionals were so nice at just letting me stop by, handing them a business card, telling them what I had in mind, which, oh my goodness, what I was telling them I was doing, (laughs) services I was providing look nothing like they do today. But (laughs) they were so nice. And after about three months of really just doing that, Asking, getting up every day, asking myself, if an attorney calls you, if a client calls you today, what would you need in order to serve them? You know, I would need something to record my time. I would need a way to bill them. I need logo. I need stationery. Like there were just things that I would need. I would need a scanner. And so just started waking up every day over those three months and doing that and then contacting people. And if someone, I remember this one attorney said, I'm having a Christmas party because I started my business towards the end of the year. And I, and he said, I'm having a Christmas party and you need to come. It was something he hosts for his law firm every year. You need to come. And so then I would make myself get up. I borrowed clothes from friends because I was very <laughs> poor at this point. And then I would go to these holiday parties or whatever I was invited to and just started meeting people. And after doing that for about three months, I received my first phone call for a case. And it came from one of those attorneys I had met, just stopped in for five minutes. And it was a $1.5 million embezzlement from a nonprofit. And our work lasted for about three months, but it was so big because I really thought I'll just work some small divorces, I'll work some small embezzlements or whatever. And so for the first one to be 1.5 million, that was quite the quite the first case. I had worked large cases before, but just that volume of work by myself was new. And so I ended up hiring some of my friends who were either laid off at the time or had some extra time to help me enter all the data and kind of get that started and that's pretty much been how, well, I no longer hire my friends. I have actual employees now, but that's what started Workman Forensics. So, Wow. Yeah, I don't want to pass over this. I know people are going to hear, you know, one and a half million dollar embezzlement from a nonprofit and, and hired your friends and stuff, but there's, there's something else you said. You said you got your first case after three months. And so they made you hung in there for three months. <laughs> Just shaking hands and acting like you weren't poor. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. And you stuck with and those it. three months, it was terrible. But I also think that it just forced me to do things that I would have never made myself do it any other way. And I did not have a source of income for those three months. I would love to say that I was this very frugal accountant before I started all of this and that I had all this savings and everything. I didn't. And... I had to be very creative about just offering to even serve my friends or other people I knew, my future in-laws. If anybody had an odd job, I would do that. 
And uh, one of the things I did was I would shop the grocery store ads for all of their lost leaders. And then I would put together a meal. And then I told all my friends, I will make dinner for you. And I will sell this for $5 a meal or whatever. You just have to come by and pick it up. And so that paid for my food for a while. I mean, I had to get really creative about paying the bills. So I was very happy when I got my first case because I could stop doing some of those odd jobs. But those things have served me really well because there's just always challenges in owning and running a business. And I think that I often have two choices. I can just say, no, I'm going to keep doing this the way I've always done this, or I can decide that I'm going to pivot and use creativity to solve this problem. And I think a lot of that started during that three-month period. Wow. Wow. So tell us about your business now. What does it look like? You mentioned you have, quote, real employees. (laughs) So, I mean, what are some of the typical engagements or cases that y'all will handle? What does your business look like today? Yeah, so our focus, we do forensic accounting and fraud investigation, but our real strength is in data analysis and something that we've actually trademarked now called data sleuthing, which is the combination of those forensic accounting, fraud investigation skills, but we can combine them with data and technology. And so now that makes us data sleuths. And so my team is made up of data analysts. I have a data analyst. I have someone who does data processing. I have a CPA who's also a PI, and she handles our case management. And then I also have a creative team member who handles our podcast and a lot of the development for our like kind of the creative, artistic, social media, and also the creative side of the product development, and then myself. And because of using technology and working on, I've really focused over the last few years on creating almost like a manufacturing process to forensic accounting so that we can be lean, but then we can also serve a whole lot of people because we're using data we're using best evidence. We can look at maybe somebody else in the same amount of time can look at a year's worth of data flipping through paper. We're going to take that paper. We're going to find the best data sources, and we can look at six years of data in about the same amount of time. We can work an embezzlement case and at least quantify the loss in about three months usually. So, I mean, and these are like like $7 million embezzlements. These are large embezzlements. So a lot of that started because of my experience at the FBI and working under the forensic accountant and doing all of that data entry because I could see how to create tables of this information. And then by adding team members who really loved Excel and programming and scripting and macro building, we now have these really cool tools that allow us to do this thing that we're calling data sleuthing. And so I have those employees. And then as far as cases go, when we're looking at data, we're not limited to only certain kinds of cases. So we're really working to branch out and serve other areas. But most of the time, it's embezzlement, divorce cases, high net worth divorce cases, and partnership disputes. And then also we do a little bit of class action and damages work. So what we like to say is anything that we can compare what happened to what should have happened, and there's some sort of delta there, there's some sort of difference that needs to be quantified, that is where we excel. How far-reaching from a geographical standpoint are your cases? I'm just thinking you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you have $7 million. I mean, I, I don't know how often these pop up in Tulsa, you know. Are you servicing just the city, statewide, national? I mean, where do you... Yeah. How far reaching are these cases? 
the majority of my work over the last about nine and a half years has been in, in Oklahoma, primary, okay. and I would say about 80% in Tulsa, because we're really anything that involves litigation and numbers, we can be involved in that. So it's not like you know, Tulsa's had nine and a half years worth of investments for us to work. Although I kind of think there might have been. So primarily Oklahoma. But what we've started doing is creating products that help us fulfill like the new way that we approach forensic accounting. And it's that we would love to help empower people, whatever level they are, whether they're professionals or lay people, that this is not what they do every day, but we can empower them to become their own modern day Sherlock Holmes. And to do that, we're creating products using data, using just basic technology to help people investigate their own divorces, be their own fact finder in their divorces, be their own fact finder in their business to detect fraud, learn how to apply an investigative the investigative process to cases. So to empower professionals who maybe have been accountants for a long time, but they want to get into forensic accounting. And so to give them these tools. And once we started developing these, I said, we need to start looking outside of Oklahoma now, you know, because this isn't just based on our time and our availability. We can, by creating these tools and empowering more people, we need people all over the country. And now we've even made contacts in other parts of the world that participate either by listening to the podcast or our webinars, or are interested in playing our game, our data sleuth tools. We've had people reach out to us and say, you know, I really want to get into forensic accounting. Is there any way you're going to open a branch in my town? When my response is, actually, wow. I don't know that I want to open a branch, but I'd be happy to sell you the tools that you can do this in your own business or in your own accounting firm, you know, as it is today. So that's how we're starting to think. And in doing that, we have started getting more cases outside of Tulsa and outside of Oklahoma. Is it like a software as a surface product or do you sell like a kit to someone and then teach them how to use the tools or what are the tools like, I guess? Yeah. So the one that's most developed is our find money and divorce program. And it's actually a training course, but then there's a dashboard or an interface and everything that the background of it or how it's being run is in Google Sheets. And so by scripting and automating our processes, we're actually able to just walk someone through, if they're going through a divorce, we can actually walk them through. These are the steps that you need to take to get the data into this spreadsheet format and then run these scripts. And then this is how you research the anomalies. So that's our find money and divorce. And that's geared towards, I mean, professionals could use it too, but it's really geared towards the individuals going through divorce. So kind of more of the, uh, we've created tools within spreadsheets to then, but created a nice user interface for somebody to use. Data Sleuth, we're building that one where it is a more of a kit, like you described. These are the things that we use in our processes. This process works every time. Here are the tools that we've used to automate this and so that other people can do it as well. Interesting. You mentioned the game also, and I did a little research before having this call, but it was when we were scheduling, so it was a while back. It's the investigation game, is that? Yeah. Okay, so what is that exactly? 
The investigation game, we call this particular one the Case of the Man Cave, and it is an actual, when we do the in-person live version, it's an actual card game that you play with a team of about four people. And we do a presentation about the ethical standard of objectivity and the investigative process. And so after a short, just concept-based, kind of make sure everybody's on the same page presentation, then you work with your team to solve an actual case. But it's with cards. And we actually had like a tabletop game designer design the mechanics of this game. But it's very true to real life and it reinforces a lot of the things we talk about in your little 10-minute presentation. So you have 65 minutes to solve this case and then we go over end presentation. We go over the solution, what was included in the loss, did you find everything, and award points and prizes. But then we also talk about the real case that it's based on. And I don't want to give away what the loss is, but it's a large (laughs) embezzlement case. And what I like about it is that there are a lot of people who have worked fraud or are wanting to work fraud, and they may never get to touch this large of a case. And so it gives them the opportunity to do that, but it's in a really fun, kind of an escape room feel that you're playing this tabletop card game and with your peers. It's a lot of fun. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. Wow. Gosh, there's so much. I oh, We could go on and on with this episode for sure. I, I'm curious, just a couple things. How did you come up with the name of your company, Workman Forensics? Is there a story behind that? It's interesting to me. No, that actually, I meant to address that earlier. So Workman is my maiden name. And when oh, I started okay. my business, I wasn't married. So Okay. Yep. All right. I thought maybe it had to be like, you know, it was for the common man or something. <laughs> you know? Nope. Okay. All right. All right. Well, hey, that's a great reason to name the company that way. So, and I noticed you're a PI. You, I think you are the first PI we've had on the show. I don't know anything about that process. I guess, when did you become a PI? And just, just in summary, I mean, how does that work? Yeah, in the state of Oklahoma, and actually most states, in order to investigate fraud, you have to be licensed as a private investigator, a CPA, or an attorney. And I was so busy whenever I started my business, and I had never planned on being a CPA anyway. That was just kind of something that started when I was in public accounting. And so I stopped taking the CPA exam, but I still needed to be licensed to investigate fraud. And so I just, it's run by the state. And so I'm a PI so that we can be licensed to do this kind of work. Okay, so you register with the state, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay, I wasn't sure if there was a test involved or something like that. Interesting. There is. There's a training course and then a test at the end of it. Okay, okay. I really could talk about this a long time. I wouldn't be respectful of your time, and and we have some questions we end every show with, so we we should get to those. The last question before that, though, I know some people are going to listen to this program, people earlier in their career, and say, that's cool. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. For individuals that would want to get into forensics early in their career, not everyone can get an internship with the FBI. So do you have any advice or thoughts on how to direct your career in that area? Yeah, I've had this question a couple times lately through LinkedIn, and my first response was, I don't know, it just happened for me. But whenever I actually stop to think about it, I would say wherever you are, whatever job you're in, just look for ways to serve people in this way. So when I was at the public accounting firm, they had no intention of starting a forensic accounting division. But I just remember seeing some things, like even just looking in QuickBooks 
before prepping a tax return. And so I would say to them, go to them and say, hey, is there any way that you think that clients would want to know if we see something weird in their QuickBooks that we can like tell them about? Is there any way we could maybe create a process for that and help them? Or, hey, some of our clients are going through divorce. Do you think that there would be a way to serve them and find maybe some hidden assets for them. And I really didn't even know what I was talking about at the time. But (laughs) looking back, though, and giving this advice would be wherever you are, there is always an opportunity for people to commit fraud. I know that sounds really negative, but there is. And if you understand the fraud triangle, so pressure, incentive, rationalization, and opportunity, if there's an opportunity to commit fraud in whatever work you're in, look to see how can I prevent, deter, detect this fraud in this environment or with my, you know, for my clients. And really, I mean, that's kind of been just how Workman Forensics has, I think, survived this entire time is looking at what are the needs of the people we're serving and how do we best serve them in this way? Like right now with all the triple P loan stuff, we said, how can we take our creativity and ability to create tools for people in Excel? How do we take this and offer this to support small businesses at this time? And we created a completely free PPP, uh, triple P funds worksheet where people can track how they're spending those funds and what are the different adjustments that they need to make in order that's been approved for triple P funds. And so that's what I would recommend to anyone, because I think that if we can think in that way, we should never be without work. And it has really helped me kind of just, man, I'd really like to do this type of thing. Okay, well, how can I serve people in that way? And that seems to have worked for me to this point. That's really good advice. Definitely. Well, I do end every podcast with the same three questions, so probably better get to those. The first one's usually the easier one. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? See, this is actually the toughest one for me. I came back. (laughs) This is the toughest one for me. I would say proudest moment is when my team, after we had been working on getting processes down and kind of creating that manufacturing process, when my team started working together and really understanding how to serve our clients, and they didn't need to ask me questions at every step along the way. Like they caught the vision and they started running with it and owning it and saying, oh, but what if we did this? What if we did this? And then they would work together. Like they didn't have to come to me. Like they could go to the person that that's their skill set and say, hey, we can improve this if you help me on this. Gosh, that has to have been my proudest moment. Yeah, that is special when you see that start to occur. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, second question, tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation and the details, the better, because that's how everyone learns from this. Well, I would say that it's my entire business story. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I learned the hard way. Also, just I think more specifically within my business, I didn't start off my career wanting to run a business or be a boss or have employees or any of that. And I think that that has actually been one of the most difficult lessons. And a lot of that I've had to learn the hard way because I really didn't have any examples. I mean, my work history for other people was so short-lived. I've worked for myself longer than anyone else. And so I wanted to treat people well, but sometimes becoming their friend, like that just doesn't really work. And then how do I maintain being a boss? So I feel like that's probably been one of the messiest parts of having a business for me and really just having to learn as I go. And I didn't really like it because it does affect other people's lives. And I think that would probably be the toughest lesson. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for being so open about that. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I think it's something I heard recently, and it's that all I have today is all I need today, especially when things are so chaotic feeling. And to think that, oh my goodness, how are things going to work out in the future? How do I handle what's going on today? And how is that going to impact my future? Just all of those types of decisions. If I can just remind myself that what do I need today? And that's all I need today. Wow. I really, I mean, there's a lot of aspects of your story I like, but I'm still hanging on to that. You bought food on sale and prepared it for your <laughs> friends so you can make it for the first three months. Yeah, that is just, wow. Talk about an inspirational story. Yeah. Well, thank you. I love that. It might've just been one of survival, but. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's the best place for people to find out more information about you or Workman Forensics or your podcast? Where would you want to point them? Our website is the hub for all of these things that we talked about today. And that is workmanforensics.com. Beautiful. And that's workmanforensics.com, right? Correct. M-A-N? Yes. Beautiful. Yes. M-A-N. And forensics has an S. Plural. Yep. Oh, yes. Okay. I just noticed that. I have to tell you, I really I enjoy speaking with you because you can tell just how much you enjoy, you know, what you're doing. This has really been fun. You have a quote on your website. It says, data creates the most beautiful stories. And I thought that was a, a very clever way <laughs> of describing you. it. You tell you, you and your team is really passionate about what they're doing. That's wonderful. Yes. Thanks. We are. Well, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your time with us. I really appreciate it. Have a great week. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Well, that was our interview with Leah Wheatholter. And like I mentioned in the intro, I really thoroughly enjoyed this one. A couple of the takeaways that I personally had were how her initial plan really benefited her in the long run, her career plan, because she set out specifically to get a job in the FBI. That was her goal. And she did get an internship with the FBI, in fact, for two years. And now her career has ended up going a different path, but it's still in that category. And I think she would agree that that she couldn't have planned it better any other way. She really thoroughly enjoys what she does. And although she's not in the FBI now, she was doing work that continues to challenge her and that she continues you know, to enjoy doing. And then secondly, I can't get over how creative they've been at Workman Forensics with all their different offerings. Of course, they're doing unique work, but then also they have a podcast where they're talking about that work and that's geared specifically for people that are interested in forensics. And then also they have this investigation game, the investigation game actually. And that's a really creative, way of teaching individuals about fraud investigations. I thought that was pretty cool. I'm really glad that Leah made time for this interview. It was a blast for me to record it, and I'm sure you got a lot of out of it as well. If you did find value in this episode for yourself, like I mentioned earlier, please share it out on social media. We really do appreciate that. And 
If you're so inclined, we have a couple books out there on Amazon as well that may benefit you. Our oldest one and leading one, actually, 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career. And then our more niche-focused one, 49 Tips for Working with a Headhunter. Like I mentioned, you can find both of those on Amazon. Well, thank you again for joining us. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. We'll see you all next week. There's more to come.